Welcome to the StockFam Investor Education Podcast. Whether you're a seasoned investor or one of the millions of people entering the market for the first time, StockFam provides the fundamentals to help you grow your wealth. This is a podcast for investors. We give quality companies the chance to tell their stories while providing you with the tools to invest wisely. If you want to get out in front of the herd instead of being a part of it, join us at StockFam. This episode of the StockFam Podcast, Hammy welcomes CEO of TotoQ, Hassan Khan, for a corporate update. As a private company, TotoQ has been working to establish themselves as a leading technology provider for secure solutions surrounding digital identity, data, and assets for individuals or entities. Hassan explains their mission at TotoQ and how they envision a society where trade of digital assets can exist amongst people without any third-party involvement or intermediaries. In order to achieve this, Hassan highlights the importance of their key partnerships with entities such as IBM, where they are now focusing on scaling their technology across various cloud infrastructure platforms and all end user devices. Hassan dives into the value proposition of their existing product line, GoTo, or GOTO, which aims to solve critical needs in the marketplace by providing self-credential capabilities, peer-to-peer verification, and secure asset control. Moreover, Hassan enlightens Hami on their upcoming product line, which aims to focus on revolutionizing the peer-to-peer payment process, where no payment provider and no processing fees exist and can be managed through any digital app. Hassan provides insight on some of their upcoming plans and benefits of open sourcing their code to clients and their path to become a public company. It is our pleasure to welcome Hassan Khan, and without further delay, we bring you TotoQ. Welcome back, everyone, to the Stock Fam. I hope you're doing well indeed. Today, we have back with us Hassan Khan, the CEO and co-founder of TotoQ, which is a private company. Uh, but one that we're very interested in, very, very uh, disruptive in in the tech space. Um, welcome back, Hassan. Thank you so much. Happy New Year. It's great to be on again. Yeah, Happy New Year to you as well. So the tagline on your website, let's get into it. We'll get into a little bit of a recap um, from our last discussion of last year. Um, but technology to enable a new economy. Um, so maybe we can kind of touch on what that means, kind of do a recap of what TotoQ is and kind of some of the developments over the over the past year, because you guys have been very busy. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And when we talk about technology to enable a new economy, um, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll give you like a, a bit of like a quick vision statement and we'll, we'll make that real, uh, like tangible, like really quickly. Okay. So the aim of TotoQ was really to say, Hey, how can we allow anyone on earth to strongly own control and manage their own digital identity, right? Their data, any of their, any of their digital assets. And to be going, to be able to go anywhere in the digital world and meet anyone and have a peer-to-peer verification take place. And if they want to trade, they should be able to do so, but do so in a way as if they were face-to-face, right? You don't need an intermediary if they're not adding value. You don't need to pay fees. You don't need to be shoveling data at someone else who's going to be taking it and selling it on to a third party. Uh, is just to do that. And it, it sounds nice, but that's kind of general, right? So let's say we made it specific. Let's say I was sitting on, on, on my computer, right? And I'm a, I'm a Mac user like many, um, but 
for some reason, I'm still like, even all these years later, despite all the complaints, I use like a bunch of Microsoft software, right? Like Outlook, right? Which runs on my Mac. And let's say you were there in, you know, a stock fam in your Discord channel. And you and I were talking, I was like, you know what? I want to send you a message from my Mac, from my Outlook to you. And we're going to do a trade. Let's say you agree to do a service and I'm going to go pay. But I want to do it like that. I don't want any banks, any payment providers, nothing. It's just the two of us, me on my device with whatever I'm using and where you are. And we want to communicate. We want to verify each other and do a transaction without any third parties. How do we do that? And if it was done right, it would mean I could just send an email from Outlook. It would show up in Discord. You would open it. There'd be money there attached to that email, and you'd take it and drop it anywhere you wanted, like on your device, uh, you know, into like a Dropbox or your private cloud or whatever it happens to be, and you'd be able to use it, and there'd be no fees and no one else involved. And not only that, when I sent that message, you would be able to verify instantly that not it didn't just come from my email. It came from me personally. And when you open the email, I would know instantly that it wasn't just opened up by Hammy's, you know, Discord account or whatever it was. Hammy personally opened it up, right? That would be a really cool future if we could do that across any system, any device, and be able to communicate, verify, and transact like that, right? And that's really what that means, right? Is to provide that capability because in today's digital world, you have you know, an untold number of intermediaries and friction and other kind of hurdles we need to get through. Uh, and that's really what that statement was saying. It was like, how do we get that world into place? Right. And I think we, there was a lot of examples we used in the last interview. You know, we talked about, you know, in the mining industry and, you know, tokenizing those assets to where you're putting it into a compartment where everything's verified within that compartment and you're buying that entire entity verified um, through, through yep. technology. Exactly. Right. And, and there's a, like, like you said, that's a perfect example of taking a look at a, a mining or a resource commodity right. Right, uh, in that kind of transaction. Right. So let's let's get into a little bit on, you know, the Red Hat marketplace and what you've been doing with IBM. Um, I think there's been quite a few announcements along the GoTo um, uh, product line. So maybe let's talk a little bit about that and what that kind of means for, for TotoQ and, and where things are going. Sure. Yeah. I mean, when we last chatted in 2021, we had a few big things we want to do, right? We need to decentralize all that underlying Toda technology. Um, we wanted to get the first products and solutions that would allow for this kind of world um, into the core of commerce, business, industry, right, and government. And if you want to go to the core, that really means that in the that's all the, your your hybrid and multi clouds and all of these you know sort of massive providers that run these huge data centers that are running all the banking systems, all the commerce systems, all of that, right? And the question is, how do you get that capability into there, right? This is what earns Microsoft like 80% of its revenue. Only 20% is coming from the things that you and I see and touch and use, and the rest is way deep in that cloud, as an example. Um, and then the second place you want to get it is to uh, the edge, all the endpoint devices, the mobile phones, everything else. And you want to put that power in people's hands in just a usable, secure, ubiquitous kind of way, right? Like you just got it, like the same way you got your phone. And as soon as you set that as the goal, um, a few immediate conclusions jump out. The first is 
you've got to into the open source Linux world. Uh, and for those out there who aren't familiar with Linux, that's like the third operating system, right? You've got Mac, you've got Windows, and then there was this thing called Linux. And the reason why Linux is significant is that that runs about 85% of the world's servers, or sorry, 95% of the world's servers and about 85% of the world's smartphones. So when it comes to those two things of saying, how do you bring this peer-to-peer -peer strong ownership capability into the cloud and into the edge, you've got to go there. And the second you realize that, what immediately jumps out? Well, Red Hat was the original open source Linux company. And it was acquired by IBM a couple of years back as part of IBM's journey to become uh, a market leader in this whole you know, distributed cloud space. So we went straight there, right? It was, it was just kind of like, as you sort out and say, what are you out to do and who are the best partners to team up with? So over 2021, we started working with more and more folks on the technology as well as on the business side across both IBM and Red Hat, right? And we were also doing a ton of work with other customers. And the question was, well, you can do a lot of things with Toto. And the first question we all want to answer is, where do we start? If we can do a thousand things, that's not very helpful. We want to start with one. What's the one thing that all of you would like? And the first answer that came back was simple. It was like, look, it doesn't matter whether we're doing a supply chain transaction, we're doing transactions across an exchange or a market or it's e-commerce or something else. It's always starting with identity. You've got a buyer, a seller, a distributor. There's someone handling, selling, acquiring, verifying a product. And all of those use cases always start with assessing who are we dealing with and for both parties or if there's more than two to verify each other securely, very quickly and easily, uh, and do it in a cost-effective way. So we said, okay, great. And this was around, I think, spring of last year. So we started looking, and it's a busy space, right? All the big cloud giants provide solutions. And there's quite a few dozen specialized providers in the identity, KYC, access management, credential space. And they all provide different layers of solutions. But the, the top line is it's... You know, this is according to Morgan Stanley, right? It's an $80 billion industry, right? It's growing very, very quickly. And all the, uh, you know, the large market makers, investors that look at the industry, one of the things they admit is they can't accurately assess its size. And the reason why they can't do that is the existing market and solutions are really tailored towards um, enterprise workforces for big companies, as well as a lot of financial services applications. And one of the reasons for that is those identity solutions come at a cost where it's only those kind of customers that can afford to pay that sort of freight, right? And having the flexibility, the features, the cost effectiveness that'll work elsewhere, that's tough to come by, right? Because you have to really bring down the cost of the product to make it work in you know, sort of emerging markets or for something like esports or for the unbanked, uh, et cetera. So we're like, okay, great. We've got a cost problem, and we know that Toto is really efficient. We could build a more efficient product. Uh, and then we looked around as well and said, well, what are other gaps that the market currently can't solve that where we can make a difference with identity? Uh, and the other one was security. And you've seen a ton of this in terms of the rise of cyber attacks, ransomware. Um, in our discussions with most of the cloud giants, the consensus being they're seeing a three to four X increase in the 
frequency and impact and severity of those attacks, and they don't really have a good answer for it. But if you dig in and look across all of that cyberspace, um, at least three quarters of the attacks always start by the attackers stealing, forging, manipulating identity and credentials of some sort, right? Yeah. And then from there, they get into your phone, they get into the system, and then they work their way through and they figure out what data are they going to steal or other bad things they're going to do. But it always starts with the attack on identity. Um, so we're like, all right, great. There's a security problem, right? And we've got some pretty strong security guarantees that are around the protocol. So we looked at cost and security and we said, all right, well, what else is there? And there was a third thing. Uh, and that was really around interoperability and portability, right? You think of just how many apps you have on your phone. Well, as we know in the business and banking and all the world, you've got just thousands, millions of systems, tons of different kinds of devices, right? And it's a real challenge to say, how does everything very simply in, in computer speak talk to each other and verify that things are legit, right? It's just that. Yeah. So if you have interoperability and portability, that would mean that you could have one digital ID, right? As an example, your biometric or as well as your self, your, your sovereign ID, like a passport or a driver's license any kind of credentials, like a professional permit or whatever else, those things would be totally containerized, but you would strongly own them, right? You control it, you own it, you possess it, it's on your phone, it's backed up where you want it backed up. You decide where that thing is used, you decide where that is exposed. And if you can do that, because it's TOTA and it's interoperable kind of across all systems, then it means you only need to go through the act of, you know, holding a set of identity credentials once and it can work everywhere rather than today's world where we have how many usernames and passwords yeah. right and then you get band-aid solutions like i'm going to stick them all in a password manager right and then have some other third party is just no why can't i just be me and me works everywhere and everyone can look at me and say okay great so those were really the three big challenges so out of that it was really the the market and customers across a whole bunch of areas that came back. And that is what over a series of months led to Goto, right? As that first product. And what Goto does is three or four very simple things that solve all of those kind of three kind of core needs. It allows you to create self-credentialize and strongly own and control your own identity as well as your credentials. It allows you to use those in a way where you can do true peer-to-peer -peer verification with anyone else or any other system. And then the next thing it allows you to do is you can privately and securely bind the proof of your identity and credentials into any other asset. So if you were doing a transaction, right? Simple things like a concert ticket or a train or a plane ticket, right? Uh, on the finance side, like a safekeeping receipt or stocks or bonds or a coupon, anything else, when that happened, that asset would get containerized and become portable with your proof of identity bound into it. And that means that if you showed that to anyone, the only person that can prove ownership of it is you. It becomes unstealable, right? And those really became a small product that allowed you to solve those three problems and do those three things. Uh, and what then happened over the summer and fall is we continued the work with IBM Red Hat. And that's probably, it's less than a quarter of our pipeline, which became huge, right, over a period of the last two, three months. Um, 
uh, we started building that up and came, there's four groupings of customers that showed up for GoTo. Uh, one was what I'd call mission critical and essential services, uh, public safety, uh, defense, uh, border, uh, uh, high sensitivity energy and infrastructure applications like nuclear, right? And that was kind of one grouping. And there was like, look, identity is really important. If we get it wrong, someone could die. Uh, the next grouping was things that I'd call essential services, like telehealth, uh, you know, basic financial services, all that kind of stuff. Um, the third was much more of what we I kind of just spoke about a few minutes back, which was like mass emerging market, you know, low cost, we need low friction KYC for millions or tens or hundreds of millions of people. And it has to be 50 times cheaper than the usual stuff that we're, we're used to seeing. Uh, and then the final group was all the other innovative companies that were doing great things kind of on the side of within Web3, right? All in sort of complementaries that looked at what we were doing with GoTo that said, great, we want to take GoTo and bolt that to our private storage solution. Or we want to take it and bolt it into our transaction solution or whatever else we're building. Uh, and all of those showed up. So it was really nice to be able to create a very powerful but simple Lego brick-like product that was the first step in this journey that could just go plug into anything else. Right. And there's so much to unpack there. You know, you talk about Linux, you know, being the operating system for kind of, you know, infrastructure sure. um, and security, just from a security standpoint, you know, that's why it's used. So, you know, when I look at the KYC applications and biometrics, can you kind of explain that a little bit in terms of, you know, how that's applied? But, you know, I think, in terms of what you're talking about, multiple usernames, multiple passwords, kind of bundling that all into one package is is very important for the digital world because how do you verify that, that this person is actually that person here or there or otherwise? Because you know, for the majority of us, you know, we have maybe you know 15 or 20 different logins and passwords, but how many people actually change their password for every single one? You know, like and storing exactly. passwords is is an issue. Because uh, as soon as your you know your phone or whatever can get get hacked, all those passwords are stored. So, um, kind of let's talk a little bit about that, the security side of things, and why it's important for the general user. Because um, that's I think an area that you're really targeting is the general user to make it more available um, and cost effective for for you know just the everyday user. For sure. Um, and and just a couple things up front before we really dig into that. One is that GoTo is a combined partner product, right? On the toe to queue side, we understand how to create a product that allows you to own your identity, own your credentials, and have those verified peer-to-peer -peer with any system that you want to log into, right? Or you're going somewhere and you want to show that to get privileges like you can board a plane, right? Or you're able to do certain kinds of trades on your stock trading app or whatever it happens to be. But there's another area where we're not the experts and don't want to Right. And that's in the area of understanding like biometrics. Right. Or if you display your driver's license. Right. Uh, they have the technology to be able to look at the driver's license, read it and check back with the database to make sure it's a valid thing. Right. And that's where you get specialized identity companies that do that. So we looked for a long time and we ended up partnering with a company called Graba Technologies. They're Australian, but they serve. Homeland Security, CBSA, Eurostar in Europe, a whole bunch of large clients. And they're used to dealing with mission critical, life is on the line kind of stuff. So it was, it was a good fit uh, for us. So that portion of what the GoTo thing does is done by them. So we're like uh, uh, a team, 
right? And that's a collective team that goes and does this. So to your point, like, what would this look like, right? So let's say we just describe like a simple transaction, right? Um, one of the use cases uh, we can approach with as an example is in transportation, right? Uh, which is it's a hot topic these days, right? So imagine you went and said, uh, I want to buy a, uh, a plane ticket, right? Or a train ticket. So let's say you had your phone and on the phone, you've got an authenticator app or your airline app or whatever it is. And GoTo is just plugged in over there, right? Which means that as a decentralized thing, you don't need to talk to ToteQ anymore. We literally need to know nothing, which is very different because most identity companies today, every time you try and log in or do something, you're pinging back to their servers, their database, and it's just another point where your personal data and you know all the vulnerabilities and everything else. So that's the first point. So what ends up happening is then remotely, you can show that identity right to the airline system, and they can verify you in near real time, right? That hey, it's really hammy, right? It's you. And once that verification is done, both you and them have a record of exactly what happened, and those two thing, records will always agree. So you get an audit log. Then the nice part about that is that audit log could say, look, you were verified, it was really you, and we've destroyed your personal data. This means later on, if something happens, and it wasn't the case, you actually have provable recourse. And if there was a bunch of you as customers, right, where that was the case, now you've got a bunch of people that have provable recourse. So it's got these kind of nice things in it. But let's say they verified you, and you said, great, I'm going to buy the ticket. So you send your funds one way, and when they send the ticket, it gets totalized with your proof of identity bound in. Now when you hold that ticket, you can hold it locally on your phone the same way a paper ticket would work. And when you show up at the airport, at the gates, inside the plane or train or wherever else, anyone, whether it is an airport official or you know the airline itself, can verify your ticket locally peer-to-peer. And if you need to prove ownership that, in fact, it's you that's the owner of that ticket, you can do that in seconds. And none of it needs to go reach back into any other company or any other place where your personal data is stored. It's just with you. So that's kind of a bit of a functional example, right, of how it works. But the nice part about GoTo is think of it as like a little Lego brick. And you just go plug it into any device and any system that you want to have those powers. Uh, and it does that. Yeah, I think you, know, you mentioned Web 3.0 and the next kind of iteration of the Internet. I think the biggest challenge is like, how do we, you know, because like with the Internet, you know, everybody's behind a screen. You don't know X from Y, uh, who's who. So I think this is something, you know, it's going to, like you say, it's going to drive the, the new economy, which is going to be the next iteration of the Internet and moving to Web 3.0 and things like the metaverse and all that. So how do we get there? It's through secure credential secure transactions. And I, so I think, you know, what you're working on is solving a, a pretty huge issue that's going to be coming up in, you know, in the very short future. So um, maybe talk a little bit, you know, about the pipeline you mentioned, you know, Red Hat and that was you said was about a quarter of, of what you're doing. Uh, but now obviously it's a, a major part of what you're doing. But what else are you kind of working on in terms of in the digitalization uh, of, of, the, uh, of the world? Yeah, so for GoTo specifically, the existing pipeline right now kind of reaches to about 200 plus million people, right? So even in the near to medium term, we execute yeah. on a tiny proportion of that. That's really significant. Mm -hmm. um, but on the digitization front, if you think back to our first discussion, right? 
it, it was identity was just the start, right? After that, you want to trade, you want to transact. So then it's really about peer-to-peer -peer payments, right? And this term gets thrown around a lot. But when we say it, we really mean that in that there's no payment provider. There's no payment processing fees. There's no data taken out. And you can push payments between any set of apps. Like I said, as an example, in the last example we talked about, between Outlook sitting on a Mac to your to someone else who's you know uh, with a community in Discord and they're talking and they want to do a transaction, why can't you just send a payment between those two systems, right? Yeah. So that next thing that we're going to be working on is entirely on the payment side. A really interesting part about that was our journey in finding and understanding who are the natural customers, right? Because if you show up with, as an example, like an identity solution, right, or something on the payment side, and you're providing an improvement, well, you're going to be bringing in some level of disruption, right? And in a lot of cases, that's additive, right? It creates new markets, new products, uh, new kinds of opportunities that never existed. Uh, but it also means for incumbents, they've got to adapt and change, or, or it could hurt their business, right? Because they're not doing it as well, or they're doing it in a way that's too expensive or whatever it happens to be. So on the, on the payment side, the interesting part about what I'm talking about in terms of who is that customer pipeline, it's actually not the payment providers, right? If you're a payment provider or a credit card provider and you're earning one or one and a half or 2% per transaction and someone shows up and says, Hey, um, what if we had a world where they didn't have to use your rails and they could use anything they wanted? And for most of those transactions, they don't have to pay fees. Um, you might not have a positive response to the <laughs> proposal. Uh, it's not that you don't think it's a good idea, but it might not be a good idea for your company. So there's a part of that where both on the identity and on the payment side, uh, this is the other reason why uh, as a company, we started finding that, you know, tech companies, right, or companies that produce actual products and services with really strong digital capability, they became our natural customers, right? You'll notice that everyone I talked about, it was either a tech or a cloud or a device company, or it was companies doing actual things where it's like, you know, we produce products, right, for consumers, or we handle supply chain, or we produce resources. Um, they're, they're what, they're what I, in my biased way, call the productive part of the economy, right? Uh, and that's what ended up being our natural customer uh, as we kind of go down the stage of digitization. As a note, just if we looked at identity and the next product that's coming that's going to hit this peer-to-peer -peer piece, it's going to be an analogous thing to go to, right? It will look the same. It'll do three or four simple things, except the powers it now provides is the ability to handle and move payments between any set of systems and devices. And both of those can plug together. You can plug it into whatever you want. You could draw a circle around what I described with just those two products around a roughly a $3 trillion industry, right? Oh. The Toda technology allows you to do much more than that, right? Doing, if we did nothing else but Goto as a product and that, you would end up with a massively successful company, right? Right. We cannot, nor do we want to do all of the things that are possible with the total technology. Uh, and this is where that next part they asked about um, that really comes into play is that as a decentralized technology, we're now starting to open source it. And that oh, okay. is 
super exciting, right? Yeah. Um, and we're not open sourcing all at once, right? You're very familiar with the crypto and the blockchain and other kinds of worlds where you know, white pairs produce, community gets together, and then the whole thing flows out. Uh, instead, what we're doing is open sourcing in stages, right? So we created the TOTA Early Access Program, and the first two to three dozen institutions and companies that we work with, we're bringing in their top technologists to start working and building their own products within this. Um, and the reason why we're doing it is because we are first deploying into things that are mission critical, essential, et cetera, there's far less forgiveness in saying, hey, it, it, it didn't work, right? Uh, it was out for two days, sorry, right? That, that doesn't cut it when people are trying to cross a border or travel or handle like, you know, things like telehealth or financial transactions. Mm -hmm. Thing has to work, right? So consequently, the reason why we're open sourcing in stages like that is we're bringing in to start the partners we're already working with, right? Uh, who are building kind of the right things in the right architecture. And slowly over time, what we'll do is open it up. So eventually it just becomes, it's like in the comments, right? Uh, anyone can do that. But that's one of the reasons why we're, we're staging it. Excellent. So what would be kind of the revenue model behind like an open source uh, version? Yeah. So uh, as an example, with an open source version, it means that basic stuff starts to become free or close to free, right? So as an example, let's say we looked at identity verification, right? The standard pricing in the market, if you look at like Okta and SailPoint and Ping Identity and a bunch of big leaders in the space, right? Let's say on the enterprise workforce side, they might charge 80 to 100 bucks a month, right? And with scale, you get volume discounts and all kinds of other deals, but this is roughly the order of magnitude. And let's say you wanted to do a KYC verification and it included biometrics or liveness matching or other things, it might be as much as one to $3, right, per transaction. Right, so that's giving you a sense of what the dollars and cents are. The best cost-wise in the market today are things like Aadhaar, which is the Indian national ID system. So there you've got this great big centralized government database. The trade-off you're doing is you're putting your identity and all your documents into that thing, but you'll only pay 20 cents for a verification, right? So that's like 10x cheaper. Well, that's pretty good. So when we went in, on the open sourcing and decentralization side, we wanted to go even cheaper than that and make it sustainable. So we found as an example, not for the mission critical version of the product, which comes with all kinds of features and services and backups and all sorts of things to make sure that it's a, a, a premium, stable, secure, like, like all the bells and whistles are there. But if you just wanted to say, hey, basically I just wanna own my own biometric identity and I wanna use that to be able to verify verification for like basic stuff, right? Um, we got that down to the order of like, you know, 25 cents to, to onboard someone, maybe annually 10, 20 cents. That's it for as many verifications as you want to do, like insanely cheap. So that is an example sort of cost wise, right? Of how cheap things become on the open sourcing side. That means to your original question on the revenue model, right? You can't rely on basic identity verification in terms of where we're going as your main source of revenue because you've commoditized it. You're making it available, accessible to all, right? The unbanked, whoever else, and at a cost point that works. So this means you got to start adding value-added services on top, right? 
So as an example, let's say you're like, you know what, I'm doing a, a property transaction, right, for a few million dollars, right? Or something else where there's a lot at stake and you're like, you know what, I'd like some added security into this, right? Um, I want more guarantees when things are verified and settled. Um, I want more of like the, the audit trail and all the record keeping and, you know, I, I've got these 10 things that I want with it. So what we do with Ngoto is we pack all those things along with it, right? And that provides the value add because then you're like, great, this is saving me a ton of time and cost. If bad things happen, I know that it's going to be a lot better and I'm getting a better service. I'll pay for that. I'll pay extra. And that then turns into just a dynamic pricing model, right? Let's say you had a lot of people and it's a lot of frequent use. You'd say, you know what? Give me a flat rate per user per month. It's like, all right, fantastic. We can do that. Let's say you said, well, it's variable. You might use it once a year, might use it a lot, I don't know. It's like, well, let's do a buy transaction. So that flexibility is there too. Yeah, excellent. So basically, from what I gather, like having the open source is a matter of getting you know volume into the system, getting these people on use, using the using the verifications, using the, the identity, and then getting additional products and services right. on top of that. So you know, you're you're basically getting as many people on as possible and then they're going to see the value from that and want to utilize more services and that's kind of where the revenues kick correct in. yeah and the open source part then enables everyone else to go build their own products too right right and then it becomes easier for them to say hey great i can take goto as a little lego piece and plug that into what i'm doing and that's faster and i'm going to go build what i want right so you're essentially creating this ecosystem around this entire product line yeah and it all goes back to what you said it accelerates and increases your, your user base, uh, as well as your ecosystem of products and solutions that they can use that's solving problems for them. Right, so what kind of, um, like, what kind of activity are you seeing? Like, I know you just recently launched on the Red Hat Marketplace, but what kind of, uh, you know, what kind of action are you seeing in terms of onboarding and whatnot? I think you mentioned four different kind yeah, of so customers. So. This has been very, very interesting. So. With Red Hat and IBM, like our go-to-market is really working with IBM Consulting, right, uh, as well as the sales under Red Hat and working with some larger institutional either enterprise or government kind of customers, right? And, and that's got its pace. We've got a number of direct customers where they had problems where it was like, great, Goto is solving that thing. Let's get going. And really what that means is now in our first wave we've probably got about two dozen large things and even if we converted two or three of them you know during q1 that's huge right but it gives you an idea of what the flow is we've also noticed from december through to january we're we're a small team uh we had more than enough opportunity in front of us so we didn't really press on sort of the sales accelerator but we're getting quite a few inbound every week um and that was quite surprising. And most of the inbound has been uh, actually on the B2C side, right? So when we were doing our own deliberate outbound sales, it was a lot of these, you know, finance, uh, you know, industrial, mission critical, B2B kind of things, right? Because that's where we first started. So we built up the pipeline and it was a lot of that. But from December through to January, what has been coming in inbound to us has been B2C. And that was the reason why I mentioned our, our sort of journey in evolving the product further, 
to have a version that could take that price point and bring it to a place where it could work for a market of hundreds of millions. Right. Okay. Yeah, this is fascinating stuff. I mean, we could probably sit here for hours and talk about, you know, security and, and the digitization yeah. of the economy and where we're kind of headed. Um, you know, one other thing that we kind of touched on a little bit last time you're on with us was, you know, the kind of go public strategy and being patient and making sure that, you know, you had your product line, um, you had the revenues driving before you kind of even ventured into that, which is great. I, I think a lot of companies tend to go public too early. So, I mean, being funded and being well-funded and being able to kind of drive as a private company is important. Um, but where, where are we at in terms of the go public strategy and kind of where, where things are, are at currently? Sure. I mean, I think when we last talked, we were more like in a seed stage of funding. Yeah. Right? where a lot of the investors we dealt with were, I mean, there was a few corporates, but it was largely family offices, ultra high net worths, angels, things like that, right? Um, and what we've seen now is we're certainly still in that, those stages of private rounds of funding, but definitely the investors we're dealing with now, the makeup has totally changed, right? Uh, it's gone from that to being uh, much more of what you think of as larger institutional investors. Um, so we've had a discussion with a number of them, and now we know based on our path, right, what's the threshold of milestones you get to where you start, you formally start the process, right, with them. I'm expecting that, you know, that means like your series A, B, kind of C, kind of et cetera. So uh, we'll likely have a, a round or two that are that's private, uh, and then from there um, start looking on the on the IPO and public side. Um, again, as I mentioned, like you always want to be looking down the road and saying, well, what are likely exits, liquidity points, right? Where where are the places that this could go? Um, but it, but again, I'd say I'm in I'm in no rush, right? Like on the public listing side um at this point to be to be worrying about that um right. we do do it um i think in very high likelihood it's going to be in the u.s right yeah. yeah well yeah i think it's important that you know you, you build the business to a point where you're not kind of limping onto the market where you're you're, you're looking like you need the cash right i think that's exactly. a big big issue that we see a lot of companies do they kind of go public you know because they need cash right away but the fact that you know, you're, you're funded, you're privately funded, you have institutions backing, uh, you know, it makes sense to kind of continue to build what you're building and then go go into the market, go into the public market with, with power, right? Um, and in your own control. So I think that's an important aspect for investors to understand, you know, why companies stay private versus going public um, sooner than, than they should. Um, maybe you can kind of touch on that a little bit. Like why, why is it important for you to stay private versus going public at this point? Um, I'd say at this point, like now it's about focus, right? We spent four years, you know, sort of on this Mars mission, right? To say, could we actually create technology that would enable, right? That, that vision that we just talked about, because yeah. no one's been able to do it. And now we're finally at the point where the R and D is done. We've functionally proven that all this can be done and at a economics and a performance that works for the market. And the first products are now launching. So now it's about continue to build good products, deliver value to the customers and execute, 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 right? Action is the order of the day. And it's really around that focus. And something like, you know, the public side is, is a distraction, right? The, the other thing I would say as well is when, when you tackle problems like that as a deep tech company, 
these are thorny things that take time. So if I look, there's an R&D part of our company, and then there's the product and commercial part. So the cycles on the product and you know, commercial side, like let's say we're doing product sprints, might be like six weeks, right? The cycles down at the R&D layer are 18 to 24 months. So that means, uh, you know, sort of at a co-founder, looking at the technologists, the researchers, there's a normal amount of time identifying what's the right question to ask. Is this even possible? All right, now we're going to head down this route. And at that moment, I know it's going to be 18 to 24 months before something comes out with a very high probability of failure. Um, when you're a small to medium company, even if you're fast growing and you know, you've got some great stuff, that's a really hard proposition in a market that's used to functioning on a quarterly basis, right? Yeah. And is always hungry for a set of metrics that none of those things underneath are really meant to meet or satisfy. So right. I think those are really the two considerations um, that are important, at least to me, is that I want to make sure that one, we're focused on sales execution. We have a, a great set of customers and partners in front of us is just execute, keep executing. The other is we're gonna continue to innovate uh, and improve uh, and bring out new products based on that innovation, like what I was talking about on the payment side. Um, to do that means we gotta continue tackling those wicked long-term problems. And it means uh, an investor, a partner base that has that kind of patience and capacity and breadth to see that and say, okay, we got it, we understand. We're, we're here for the long haul. Uh, and you know, I'm 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 super grateful, like after four years, to be at this point where we can launch right the first product into the market. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that's due because just a great team, uh, investors and partners that had that long-term vision and they had the stomach, right, to to mm -hmm. to stick and to push that out. Well, yeah, that's the whole thing about being angel investors is, you know, having that stomach to be able to see a vision and, you know, following through with, with a, a great team um, that's been able to deliver like you have. Um, what's the best way that, you know, somebody could follow, um, you know, kind of what's going on with, with TotoQ um, and the, the developments? Is there somewhere like other than the website? I mean, there are some news releases there, but is there a way to kind of follow kind of how the company is progressing? Um yeah, so apart from, you know, the websites and, you know, we've got a Substack and usually, you know, two, three times a year, we'll, we'll, we'll pump out, you know, kind of updates. Um, I think this year, especially as we get to the mid part of the year and the open sourcing starts to increase and then you get a community there. Um, at that point, you're going to start to see communities appear on Discord and other platforms. So okay. if you're, you know, on the business side, it'll likely be on Discord. If you're more on the engineering and technologist side, you go to like GitHub and sort of other places where a lot of building and innovation and, and research is going on. So those things are going to be a few of the things that will pop up during the year that'll provide more of the, you know, sort of day by day, week by week uh, updates of what are the latest things that are being worked on, that are being created, brought to market. Excellent. Well, Hassan, it's been great having you back on with us. Uh, we're about oh, 40 minutes. My uh, pleasure. So I hope uh, we can get you back on, you know, once this open source uh, stuff gets going to talk more about that and how things are operating on, on that side of things. Uh, but, you know, very exciting uh, technology, very exciting ecosystem that you're building. And I, I hope everyone that's listened in today uh, enjoys uh, what, what I heard today from, from yourself.
Hemi, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It was really good to catch up. Um, yeah. uh, I know you guys uh, last year, it was great to see uh, everything that the whole StockFam community did. Uh, and I'm sure you're going to have a great 2022. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. And we'll, we'll talk again soon. We hope you enjoyed this interview. To hear more interviews as well as our other investor education content, please subscribe to the podcast and visit our website at stockfamgroup.com where you will gain full access to all of our free educational platforms. Also, to view the video versions of much of our content, follow us on YouTube at StockFamTV.